here um, I have with me today Joel Bacco, who runs a blog called Lost in the Movies, um, primarily lately covering Twin Peaks and is one of my favorite blogs. Welcome, Joel. Oh, thank you. That's very nice for you to say. Hey. <laughs> um, in, in the very dense uh, landscape right now of different podcasts and, you know, blog posts and people writing up the new Twin Peaks, which is just recently finished. And of course, like, I'm a huge Twin Peaks and David Lynch fan, so I wanted to do an episode of this podcast about just talking about David Lynch in general, because he's one of my favorite, if not my favorite artist alive today. Um, but yeah, uh, so so you're also a filmmaker, correct? Yes. The last um, short film that I made was a while ago, three, three years, three or four years ago or something like that. Um, and actually, it's interesting because I've done a lot of video essays since then, and it resembles in a lot of ways a video essay because it's like a sort of a, a fake documentary. I don't want to call it mockumentary because that makes it sound funny, and it's definitely not not like it's 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 has very little humor in it, um, which I kind of regretted, but kind of fit the tone of it. But it's it's sort of a, um, a made-up documentary using um, a lot of still photos and stuff like that. Um, and with a narration, so it actually kind of it's it's weird. It almost kind of um, anticipated a lot a lot of like the video essay work I ended up doing. So, were did you go to school for film, or how how did you get started uh, doing stuff with film? Well, I got started like really early, almost like too early. I feel like sometimes because it's like maybe like my interest in film almost like peaked too early as <laughs> like a little kid. Um, when I couldn't do that much about it except kind of make, you know, little films with a video camera or something. But I was into it as a little kid. Uh, I did study it in school, and it's funny, like, that was a time when I got much more into music, and I wasn't really watching hardly any movies at all, and then afterwards I kind of got back into it. It was almost like this weird interim where, like, my passion actually kind of ebbed a little bit for movies. But then uh, afterwards, uh, I think in 2008, I started my um, blog just really as an outlet for you know, wa wanting to, because I was watching so many movies, I just like, I wanted to kind of talk about them somewhere. Mm. And that kind of grew, and, and I was able to kind of dabble around in different forms. Um, a lot of like image posts where I'd sort of do like screen caps from a movie and then video essays over time and, and you know, lists and various little sort of mini series things and, and stuff like that mm. so and around I think um yeah there, sorry. there was a lot of stuff like that around the time from what i recall too or at least like i was on this forum which i guess is i don't know what it's called now i think it's called Mubi or something like that um but yeah it used to be called the auteurs and i i was on that forum and like um yeah i'd, I'd I, I guess that's just in general the period of blogs being like you know super popular online but um but anyway sorry continue yeah it's 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 been an interesting landscape now that it's been almost 10 years to kind of look back at the changes i feel like there was much more of a sense of a community of movie blogs around the sort of the turn of the decade and then i think that got dissipated maybe into like social media platforms to a certain extent um, it just seems like the blogs themselves became either less active or you'd go read it, but you'd, the conversations would take place elsewhere on like Twitter or something like that. Um, 
so it's it's sort of shifted over time and and you know like I was saying the most popular things I've done are the YouTube videos and that's and people find them like on YouTube usually like they'll come to the blog because they found the the videos or something like that versus um, you know finding the blog and then seeing the videos through that so there's been sort of an interesting shift in that like I I still find having like a site as a hub is really helpful for me at least to kind of organize my material and kind of present it and everything but it doesn't seem to, like the activity will come to it from other platforms I feel yeah. like yeah well yeah that that is how I guess that's the expected mode of engagement now but I I yeah it's kind of the same thing um I've noticed from talking to a lot of people who were involved uh, with music around the turn of the the last mm. decade, uh, where music blogs had a really big part in also breaking new artists and writing about things that were not getting written about before. They they oftentimes posted albums and stuff, which of course would get takedowns and stuff. But I remember, I remember following like music blogs and downloading a bunch of albums from them, just stuff that you know I'd never heard of. Um, and I feel like that stuff helped get exposure uh, out to a lot of different things. Um, but after a certain point, uh, it seems like the platforms either kind of corporatized more, sort of became more centralized, or they, or they just kind of stopped updating. Um, and I don't know, I guess that, that's a bummer for me, because when I'm like thinking about, uh, you know, so... The new season of Twin Peaks uh, just finished, I guess, a week and a half ago. And, um, you know, every platform, every outlet that you can think of is, of course, writing TV recaps as they do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the thing that I really uh, miss from a lot of those and the thing that I really liked about your recaps on your website was that, well, one, you know, you are somebody who has seriously analyzed uh, David Lynch's work. Uh, has thought about it very deeply and is um, sort of delivering your impressions and your uh, your thoughts in the context of that, in the context of somebody who's obviously like, you know, a big movie nerd and a big Lynch person. So you're going into more depth and detail. But the majority of, uh, of a lot of these recaps for me, w- as good as some of them are, uh, don't really get into that because, you know, people are writing things really quickly after the episode and it's really I don't know I guess I have some frustration with that whole um way of of delivering information because it seems like it only rewards very sort of shallow and you know quick analysis of things but I don't know what are your thoughts on the whole the whole recap thing Yeah it's a it's an interesting phenomenon because for me this was I guess the second time that I ever kind of took yeah, I think probably the second time I took this approach because um, I've covered a few TV shows on the site with episode guides, but it's usually like older shows that I'm catching up with. Um, so the first time that I actually watched a show live and wrote about it, um, I don't know if I wrote about it that night as I have with Twin Peaks or if it was the next day, but it was like within a day or two, was uh, the second detec- uh, the second season of True Detective which was sort of ignominious in a lot of ways. Um, but this, So this was really only the second time that I kind of took that approach. And because I really am not that much of a regular TV watcher, I, I was never really keeping up with a lot of um, um, recappers. And it's interesting, too, because I mean, re- I hear recapper and I think, 
plot summary more just because yeah. i mean that's literally what recap means um which was never really my main interest with 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 what i was writing it was there were a few where i sort of went into summaries but for the most part it was more i just chose the things i wanted to talk about i knew people had seen it that's the one thing i don't think i quite understand about the concept of recapping i mean it implies to me maybe it's misunderstanding that you're summing up what people just saw like describing almost what people just saw um so i guess people i'm like i'm not sure what the function of that is really unless there's a good deal of analysis in it which well, maybe there is maybe recap is a misnomer <laughs> well yeah i think it's it's specifically for tv shows maybe maybe something where you want a quick uh analysis either because you were only sort of watching it or you didn't watch it and just want you know a quick summary um you know, or something like that. But the thing mm -hmm. is, like, it seems like most people who are reading those recaps are doing so because they're watching the the series. Because yeah. otherwise, like, you know, why why would I want to read about Twin Peaks episode fifteen? You know, if I haven't <laughs> yeah. seen the first fourteen episodes, you know. Yeah. Um. But and, and so that seems to hint to me that, like, you know, for me, I want a way to sort of process and think about uh, the thing that I've watched, but. The format for recaps doesn't really lend itself to that, mm. um, and I know that like a lot of the discussion about these things, they either happen, it either happens on Twitter or it happens in some forums and stuff like that. But um, I guess it it bums me out specifically um, with something like Twin Peaks, where there are so many different themes, so many different yep. things being handled. And uh, the primary form in which people are sort of digesting and talking about it are through, you know, through these recaps, which uh, are not really able to get at, you know, the more serious ideas or themes that I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, you ha uh, you've been handling in your blog posts and things like that. Yeah, I can see how that form would be, especially when it's it is more focused on just sort of summary how that would be kind of um, not that helpful. Um, I think in terms of, it, it's interesting in terms of like how I engage personally with Twin Peaks throughout this season. Um, I had kind of planned to like read everything and partake in everything and it was just so impossible. There was just so much. And so what I ended up kind of doing was just um, listening to a handful of podcasts, mostly sticking to one um, forum just because the other ones were so busy. It was like mm. I couldn't keep tabs on everything, so I kind of stopped keeping tabs on anything. Um, so I would follow the Twin Peaks Rewatch podcasts um, uh, forum because they had enough activity that it was pretty busy, but you could actually keep up with it. And mm. then um, the conversations I had were mostly on Twitter, I would say. And that was kind of how I engaged. So I kind of missed out on a lot of the writing. I'm probably going to go back and read some of it now. I'm sure some of it will probably be less interesting just because yeah. so much is speculatory. And now yeah. we know. So yeah, exactly. I think it's I, bite. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the other frustration with it is that it's designed to be disposable. Like once you go back and you see the speculation, sometimes it can be useful, but a lot of times it it really it really doesn't. You know, I I don't know. Like, I often feel like it just doesn't go anywhere. Like, I I a lot of the 
I mean, I guess there are a lot of things that seemed obvious about the new Twin Peaks that uh, now, you know, that didn't seem obvious at the time. Mm. But it, it can be hard to go back and see those things now of, like, people being like, wow, they, you know, <laughs> these people were way off. Or it was, like, speculation about details that didn't end up really being that important. Like, oh, X character is going to be doing X thing now. And it's like, does that really matter that much in the grand scheme of things, you know? Or is that kind of a fan revisiting nostalgia, which of course, as you know, we talk about the new series, mm-hmm. we, we can say that it, that that that's not what the series is at all. Um, but uh, so I guess I want to go back and ask you just uh, what got you into Twin Peaks and David Lynch's work specifically. David Lynch, um, I think, like a lot of people, sort of my generation, uh, he it was Mulholland Drive that really sort of took me into the Lynchverse. You know, I'd actually seen Elephant Man as a kid, but me too, actually, yeah. But Mulholland Drive, I was about eighteen when that came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it like immediately after, within a year, on DVD, and it was like one of those films that everybody who was like sort of into film would would talk. You know, it was like especially younger people it's like they had like maybe six dvds on their shelf it would be like pulp fiction like you know donnie darko or something uh reservoir dog like there was just the certain thing memento yep and then um you know fight club maybe and like maholland drive was one of those yeah. films. well it's one of those probably like, the best best of of that bunch one of those um, like but, uh yeah. edgy american turn of the century films yes yeah totally um so i saw that and i was just totally swept up in it and loved it and uh, but then I I didn't see that many Lynch films for many years. I saw Blue Velvet, and um, it was actually right at the time that I started the blog. Literally, maybe even the same day, or like a, a no, it was I think a, a like literally a week earlier or something. I rented um, Twin Peaks from Netflix, and I started watching it as I was beginning to blog. And I didn't blog about it. I was I was writing about movies. And sort of said, well, when I finish Twin Peaks, I'll write up my thoughts at the end. Um, and then I did that, and then I, the only part I reviewed sort of right after seeing it was Firewalk with me. And then um, I remember I watched the Special Features DVD, and they had, like, the making of special, and they're showing them, like, build all the sets and sort of the ups and downs. And that, more than anything, got me, like, I want to watch this again now and, like, see it all in context. You know, that feeling of, like, when you finish Twin Peaks and it's sort of this messy roller coaster of a journey, but then you want to go back and like almost like make sense of it in a way or, or just re-experience that ride. Yeah. Um, did that and I wrote up each episode, but I stopped at um, Leland's death and the end of the mystery. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for me, that w- when I watched the series for the first time, I could tell that the series had dropped off and I didn't even need anyone to tell me that the series had dropped off, you know. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. It was the old man at the funeral that did it for me. Like, when that happened, something clicked in my head, and I went, oh, my God, they're going to make this, like, a quirky sitcom now. Like, I didn't expect it to do that, and the second it did, I was like, oh, no. But at that point, I had switched, you know, all of the DVD cues um, on Netflix to Twin Peaks, so I was getting, like, multiple – I was just binging it at that point because I was – I wanted to see what happened next, so luckily that kind of got me through that rough patch, and then you know to the finale, which I thought was kind of mind blowing and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I also got in 
to Lynch um, from from Mulholland Drive. Actually, the first movie that I saw of his was Lost Highway, and I just did not get it. Oh, interesting. Uh, um, I think I had watched it because I was in college, and somebody had actually done an opera based on... They had written an opera based <laughs> yeah, on... Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, Lost Highway. And it was like, I didn't see it, but everyone was talking about Lost Highway. Um, so, like, you know, I watched it with, like, my roommate and a few other people. Mm-hmm. And I I just remember it, it being very dark and confused. Like, dark also just, like, you know, mm. dark in terms of, like, I couldn't see, like, half of the shots. Um, or it was just really confusing, and I didn't really get it. And, like... Um, and then I decided we had these classes um, in school where you know, students could teach their own classes. Like, um, so you know, if you had something that you wanted to sort of offer a course in something that we didn't have a class in, like in the cinema department, then you could teach that. So I, I took one for David Lynch, and I also took another one for Terry Gilliam that mm. you know were both taught by students. Because I was just trying to, like, you know, watch a bunch of different uh, filmmakers and stuff like that. Because I, I had gotten really into film and was just, like, binging on film. I sort of had the opposite experience of you in that, like, I um, I got really into film in college and then kind of... <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, and sort of petered out. But because um, we had, like, a, you know, college library, so I just mm-hmm. rented all the DVDs and everything, you know, got to see a lot of things that... I wouldn't get to see normally. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I liked his stuff, but it I wasn't sure about it until I saw Mulholland Drive. And that was the first movie that I saw that I of his that I was really, like, really hit me in a really deep and difficult place. Um, and I remember, like, I watched three movies that day, but that was the movie that, like... Um, I watched Rosemary's Baby, and I <laughs> like the same day for the first time. Wow! And then I watched. I also watched The Ring, and then I, and then I watched that movie. Um, Two Naomi Watts movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but that movie I just couldn't, you know, it just never really yeah. got out of my head. So I got into his work through there, and I I've, I've been obsessed since then. But I actually didn't really like Twin Peaks um, that much. It didn't seem particularly. It seemed like a 90s show, and it was like, I, I kind of felt like, I don't want to see David Lynch, or, you know, and da- or David Lynch and Mark Frost, you know, doing this kind of 90s show. I want to see him doing something really weird, and you only got to see, like, little glimpses of the weird stuff in the show. Like, I mean, I obviously loved the, the Red Room sequ- sequence from the original series, and, and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I just didn't really... I don't know, I didn't really, like, it didn't really do much for me until later on, I guess, until rewatching it. Yeah, I remember, actually, a couple years before I, I watched it on Netflix, um, I actually, I tried to rent it from Netflix, but the gold box hadn't come out yet, so there was no pilot available, so I had to start with episode one. When did the gold and box come out? Was 2007, that... I think. Okay, because that's around yeah. the time that I watched the series. Because I think my okay. friend my friend had the gold box. I think that's why. So yeah, I, I think in 2006, I tried to watch Twin Peaks, but I had to start with quote-unquote episode one, which is actually the first episode after the pilot. Yeah. And I remember having a similar impression of you, just kind of like, 
oh, I don't know. This is kind of an early 90s soap opera. Like, it's a little bit, looks a little stagey, the sets and the lighting's a bit, you know, 90s and stuff. And the costs. like, I remember specifically the scene of Bobby and Mike in the jail cell just kind of being like, eh, I don't know. Is, I don't know. Is about that the this. one where they're going like, whoo? Like, like. It's like... after that. They do that oh, okay. in the pilot, I think. And I couldn't okay. see the pilot. So I was jumping. And it wasn't directed by Lynch the first this episode so mm. it's kind of like i don't know if this is so is this just something like lynch executive produced and didn't actually wasn't that involved with i don't know but then there was one moment where sarah is screaming and she sees that shot of bob yeah and that's like because that felt just like even though lynch didn't direct that episode it was sort of based on something that happened when they shot the pilot and it was yeah. like which I didn't know at the time, but it was like, oh, this feels just like Mulholland Drive, like the man behind the diner. Like, I think I yelled out, and my roommate had to, like, run it, like, what, what, what's going on? I was like, oh, my God, this is like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm watching this thing. And just the fact that he was so out of place, like, there was no reason to be cutting from this sort of domestic scene of, like, grief to, like, a long-haired man staring at the camera crouched behind a bed. It was terrifying. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And then the next episode starts with the Horn family at like the table, and they're just eating, and it's like a oh, that's scene. that's the one with the like the the where they're eating the baguettes. Yeah, and I was like, and then <laughs> even before his name came up, I'm like, okay, this one was directed by David Lynch, and like that episode just won me over. But I waited two years to watch it because I was like, well, I need to see the pilot, like I need to see what starts this whole mystery off and everything. So I I kind of forestalled it but yeah i remember having that same impression at first but then this sort of the lynchisms like won me over yeah i um so i i so i have a question for you and i know this is like a difficult question to answer and probably one that's been asked like a billion times but what do you think it was about twin peaks that made it uh one such a massively popular series that also attracted a huge backlash you know Mm -hmm. fairly quickly um and Two, what do you think accounts for why the fan community has been so strong for so long and is probably almost certainly the reason why we have Twin Peaks Season 3 um, 25 years later? Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, great question. I think um, it's all sort of related because the thing that, that sort of makes Twin Peaks unique and gives it a wider audience than probably some of Lynch's film work is um, that it it's like this weird cross-section of certain conventions and then things that just don't fit those conventions at all. And because it kind of has that grounding in some things that are familiar, it sort of lures people in who are like intrigued by the mystery or the atmosphere of the woods or just this. And then they get sort of fed this strangeness as well and people love that now the thing is Twin Peaks is never all just one thing I think it's always in flux and I think um, I, I do th- I think it forms a coherent whole in the end but that's almost like despite its messiness and I think it's sort of a mistake that people sometimes make is and I've actually been having this argument a lot on Twitter lately in the past few days is this idea that it's like, well, Twin Peaks is, is sort of this one thing and then it changes. And the late lately that's become, you know, well, either the return as a whole or specifically the last couple episodes, like, oh, this is not my Twin Peaks. Like, da, da, da. and, you know, if somebody's turned off or they're upset or something's not clicking for them, like I have some sympathy with that, but it, I think people sometimes react without, 
thinking of the wider context that Twin Peaks has always done this. Always. There's been so many points where a big chunk of the audience broke off and said, I'm done. This is this is enough. I I can't take this anymore. And then others stuck around and then other then it splintered further at another point. And, you know, it's just happened so many times. It's it's really in its DNA to to um, and it's all well, it's usually um, because Lynch in particular is taking it further in the direction, f- further away from that sort of straightforward premise with just the, the hint the of coffee the and, Yeah, the coffee and the cherry pie and the and the woodsiness and the you know the sort of comforting um, music and all, all that stuff is very like Twin Peaks, but it's also the kind of um, Kind it's of, the safer side of it. Yeah, it's like kind of the the blanketing nostalgia around it, which I, I yeah. think I'm more receptive to that now. I think at the yeah, time, yeah, me too. Because like now, I you know I see people. I've also seen people be like, well, you know, like you're not really watching Twin Peaks if that's what you like about Twin Peaks. But there's also part of me that's like, you know, when I have watched the new series, I do miss. There's something like, and I think it is just a very like '90s. Uh, early 90s late 80s sort of of its time thing Mm -hmm. of there's there's kind of like a claustrophobia to um the original twin peaks and in a way that is kind of like weirdly comforting or something like it it, it's always kind of within a convention and i think that's the thing about soap opera uh in general which twin peaks really is a soap opera um is like there's you know, it's it's a, an intentionally kind of fabricated thing, and it's fabricated to be kind of um, you know uh, both comforting and reassuring, and in, in in a lot of ways, and also kind of a, a good vehicle for for drama and stuff. But in this way that is very kind of uh, you know um, fake or whatever. But that's not a bad thing. And you know, as weird as it seems, I think that kind of thing might be more fresh might seem more fresh today in some ways mm, just because yeah, it's good so point. yeah cuz it's so different from um you know prestige tv and 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 even like reality tv and yeah. stuff like that um that it it just but yeah we, i mean we can talk about prestige tv in a bit but um i guess um one of the the real the real uh, sticking points for for Twin Peaks and really like the the thing that has been at the center at the central focus of your analysis is the movie Firewalk with Me, which you know for a very long time I didn't watch because people told me that it was not a good film. Um, some people called it at the time, I think, like the worst film ever made. Some yeah, like uh, there it's, was a critic. It's amazing. That, uh, and that, like, which also somebody said about Showgirls, which is also one of my favorite movies, and also has Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, I was just gonna say, <laughs> um, the two uh, movies he made at the time that probably was like, you know, oh God, why did I got these two bombs and blah blah blah. And now it's like those are probably his most talked about films of that period. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And like. Um, I, I remember Quentin Tarantino was like, you know, <laughs> he watched, he watched, uh, I read some quote where he watched Firewalk with me and he's like, I'm just, I'm so done with David Lynch. Like, I'm just so frustrated with him and stuff. And apparently Firewalk with me got booed at, at the Cannes Film Festival or something. I think that's correct. 
Yeah, and I think Tarantino's exact quote was that David Lynch has gone so far up his own ass that I don't care if I ever see another Lynch film yet. It's like, of all the people to say that, you know, I, I enjoy Tarantino's work, but come on. Like, if there's any filmmaker who's up his own ass, I think, you know, he he might he might fit that category a little better than David Lynch. So <laughs> that always kind of amused me. Yes. So why do you think people responded that way at the time? It's it's I guess it's a tough question to unpack, but fortunately I have unpacked it quite a bit, so I guess I have some stuff to kind of draw on in terms of references. Um in the video that I that I made that's that we were talking about earlier, the seven facts about Firewalk with me, the very first one is that the media and the critics had turned on Twin Peaks in nineteen ninety two. Like it was an unpopular item and as was David Lynch. And I think that does have to be foregrounded to a certain extent is there are specifics as to why people hated Firewalk with me, but they also hated Twin Peaks at this time. Um, mm. there, were, there was just like such a backlash against that show. Was this, was this because Religion. of season two? Yeah, it was because of season two and just because people got lured into Lynch's world and, and you see this happening again. I mean, like as we speak, this is happening again for many people. Um, it's just like a, it's a never-ending cycle with him, and it's kind of fascinating. Is it, it's that thing we we're talking about, where because he uses certain conventions and he uses, particularly in this case, narrative conventions that lead you to expect a certain thing, and then he doesn't. He plays with them in interesting ways, where he just doesn't fulfill them the way you'd expect them to be fulfilled, or at the pace. And people just started to feel like he was this like, and plus that combined with his persona, where he's just this sort of aw shucks guy, and, and he, he won't he won't say things in interviews oh, like people I, yeah, ask him questions. Not. And, yeah. So for a while, he was like this cool like icon. Like it's amazing for me to look back at like the stuff from 1990. He's got all these pictures with like Isabella Rossellini, and he's like almost this like fashion icon or something like America's favorite, you know, Jimmy Stewart surrealist or something. But people just got annoyed because he wouldn't give them what they wanted in return. And you just see this massive shift of the tide. And it happens very early in the second season. It actually happens with the premiere episode, which a lot of people, which is one of the best episodes of, yeah, it's, it's many people's like favorite episode or one of, one of the, favorites and it's like right away before they even revealed the killer people were dropping like flies the ratings were plummeting they put them on a saturday the critics were all turned against it so to get back to the question about firewalk with me it there's a great article i i just collected all these quotes on my on my site it's on this um article called gone fishing which you can find in any of you know there's like twin peaks directories and stuff like that on the site so you can kind of navigate to it but I gathered like over a hundred snippets that I sort of was researching in this short period one of them is like a party in like 92 like a premiere party in LA and it's like the reporter's like yeah I walked into the bar and there's Twin Peaks bunting and I was like man that show was only two years ago that feels like nostalgia already like that was like so that was such a fad like way back when so it's like this spirit of like real anger at Lynch and then so that would have been happening anyways but then you take this particular film and the fact that he took the show which sort of teased around the edges of these detective tropes and somewhat subverted them but still kind so, of so can can we ahead. just uh, can we stop for a second I just want to say sure. um, Twin Peaks is about 
Laura Palmer, who's a teenager who's been murdered, and we're trying to figure out who killed her, right? And so, obviously, her life in in the series in Twin Peaks, you only hear about from the side, and you see all the the sort of effects that it's had on people, but you don't really understand her as a character. And yep. obviously, you know, with Fire Walk With Me, she becomes a character. Right. It's a prequel in which it's all about her life, and the detective who was our guide into that world, is now relegated to a pretty small supporting role. Even smaller, it was intended to be small, and then it was made even smaller by Kyle MacLachlan's kind of on-and-off-again um, involvement with it. Now, also, I should say, um, I guess if people are listening to this and haven't seen Twin Peaks, you should probably put a spoiler warning at the beginning. I've actually already said something that's <laughs> yeah. a spoiler. I um, mean, I... I was talking I've... about the episode that changes the series but uh, oh yeah i mean i i, I i'm i'm okay with spo- spoiling the first twin peaks more than i i i want to put the the big warnings before yeah. I, we talk about the new twin peaks but um but i, w- I want to get some of this stuff out of the way just in case someone's yeah. listening and they're curious about it or whatever yeah. you know so with firewalk with me um the fact that he made it about Laura, there's just so many things about that that's make it such a subversive radical gesture first of all you know you you have this this genre that's sort of a male oriented genre of like the detective and this beautiful dead girl and he's trying to get to her secrets and this and that and they flip it on its head where suddenly the dead girl is alive and it's her story and it's a story of the victim not of the redemptive hero and that's already kind of really something that's uncomfortable for a lot of people to watch and then on top of that, her specific trauma was incest, and the film delves directly into that, and in a way that's a bit less... Um, the, the the series obscures it a little bit because you have this supernatural element of Bob, who possesses her father, and the episode in which he dies, they really, uh, to, in my opinion, they lean kind of heavily on this idea that he's like a puppet of this spirit, and he couldn't... Abs- yeah, absolutely. And and it really plays on that in an episode that, interestingly, is not directed or written by Lynch. So in the film, although he keeps the spirit around, and that's still part of it, he really... It, just the overall presentation of Leland in that film makes him seem much more culpable and and much more aware of and responsible for the abuse of Laura. And it just highlights... You know, I think there's one sort of throwaway line in the series which lets you know she was... Um, abused by Bob and hence her father, but the film is all about that, and that's that is the 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 mystery in the film is not you know who killed Laura Palmer. It's Laura Palmer finding out what we already know, but kind of knew from a distance, which is that the person who's who she's seen abusing her for all these years is actually her father. Yeah. So, so it almost flips that dynamic on its head from the show, and that was obviously upsetting for people especially if they came from Twin Peaks with the expectation that it was this quirky soap opera that was about the townspeople and it mixed, you know, some ominous dread with a lot of humor and stuff like that. And this was just pitched so differently that it, even for fans of the show, so there were all these people who hated Twin Peaks, but even among people who had stuck with Twin Peaks, this was quite a shocker. And and of course, it doesn't resolve where the series left off, which is Cooper. Yeah, I think. I think that might be part of the reason why people responded the way that they did, but it 
it, it it feels kind of fucked up to me in a way that a movie that is so um, sort of empathetic yes. uh, with its with its female character much more so than I because I feel like David Lynch he gets a lot of shit um, about his treatment of women in movies and it really like I I think it I mean I will usually defend him although I think it depends on which movie and. Yeah you know you're talking about and i think he's got better over time but i think fire walk with me was his first movie where he really handled it um particularly well and i i guess i want to talk about something pretty uncomfortable right here right now just um because i have unfortunately a lot of personal experiences and personal trauma that are very similar to laura like i was also abused by my father and mm-hmm. um and I will say from watching that movie, which I didn't see until probably four years ago, maybe the last Lynch movie that I saw for, because I didn't, you know, it was really difficult uh, for me to deal with. Um, Her, uh, my experiences with my father, who is very similar to Leland Palmer, unfortunately, like also a lawyer and also very similar sort of... um, uh, character mm-hmm. um, is there are scenes there are a few scenes in that movie that could have been ripped straight out of my life and out of my experiences like liter- not and not like you know any of the supernatural stuff but just in his interactions with her like one scene and this, and it's it's very like little stuff it's not even something that you would think about but the fact that it, it is included in that movie like in the mm-hmm. midst of all this other stuff shows to me that like he understands this be, there's like one scene where he's asking her to clean her fingernails that her fingernails are like really dirty and he's and he's yelling at her to like wash her hands and um and she's like freaking out and she's just kind of crying and stuff um like and you could read that as like his whole like thing as the murderer is that he would put like the letter under the fingernail and all that kind of stuff so it's a reference to that but like for me that was some that was an experience that i had where my dad would like look at my fingernails and tell me to watch you know this kind of really weird obsessive behavior mm-hmm. um and then there was there's a couple other things i can't remember well one of them was specifically at late later on in the film one of the last times she sees leland before she's killed is um she just says to him she's like stay away from me or something something like that i can't remember what the line is um but the way that she says it um like i've said that exact you know line to to my father before and like i without getting into it too much like these are experience it's it's not really a fantasy this isn't really a fantasy world for me anymore it's like real life and these Mm -hmm. are things that i've experienced and they're being depicted in a way that is like um kind of magical and you know it has this whole thing about the spirit realm and you know david bowie comes out of nowhere and all that kind of stuff but the fact is that like it deals with that in a way that is so accurate for for me and i think that really like needs to be understood especially for people who you know say that he doesn't do that yeah yeah i mean i that's something that i've heard a lot actually is is people who have experienced that saying that this film is almost uncanny 
in in tapping into that experience and i think yeah it's it's just it is it's really tough to see to to see people react to it that way i think where they don't they just it's not even i can almost understand the people who reject it like oh i like or or are upset by it and that's how they respond but the people who like refuse to empathize with it always that that just really touched a nerve for me and and i think yeah a lot of a lot of um survivors have written to Cheryl Lee and to David Lynch and and told them that this film resonated in that way and i think that's kind of like the haunting story and the legacy of Twin Peaks for for all those years and specifically Firewalk with me is that is yeah, that sorry, it ref- no no yeah keep going oh I, sorry I, I agreeing with that uh, I also had a roommate who watched it with me and she's not like an intellectual person not like a real film person but she said it was one of her favorite movies that she'd ever seen because it was the most yeah. it was the most accurate and it she, it was the most accurate, like, capturing of demonic possession. She was, like, really into demonic possession. She's like, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. She's like, yeah, Laura just let the demons get to her, and, you know, you can't let the... And I was like, ah, I don't really know if that's what I got out of the movie, <laughs> yeah. but but she really liked it. She's like, no, yeah. this is the most accurate thing about demonic possession that I... Wow, that's I'm amazing. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah, no, it's it's... It just it connects on this deep psychological level, and it was just like painful for me to see because I actually I had some issues with the movie. It's interesting because my my experience coming at it was sort of um, somewhat. My experience was coming at it as somebody who had not experienced abuse, but was very close to people who had been abused and who Mm -hmm. had abused them. So. I, I almost feel like that kind of played in my response where I almost felt kind of upset with the movie for including um, the stuff from the show at first. I was like, well, wait, why didn't he just drop the Twin Peaks stuff and make it the Laura Palmer story? Because clearly that was what moved him. But he, he left in the stuff with Bob and the Lodges and all this. And I've noticed, interestingly, I haven't actually seen that many people who um, who have experienced abuse directly actually take that offense interestingly enough uh, well, I, I don't know yeah. if it's your experience or not but like it was something that struck me maybe because I had that kind of proximity without you know it was like this this feeling of like I, it just it taps into that I think it, it taps into a feeling of like um, anger or feeling like a, a, a wanting some sort of uh, understanding or something of of these situations and the way yeah everything if that makes well, it's, sense it's putting it in a context of larger um, I guess spiritual events it's like put it's putting it, it it's trying to capture something that I don't know I think it's really remarkable actually um, and his work in general because it's trying to capture something that really hasn't been captured at least not by movies Um, Mm -hmm. and I think this is the thing that kind of makes me feel like Lynch is he doesn't work um, his movies don't work the same way that other filmmakers do like fundamentally Mm -hmm. they're not they're not the same because you can say a lot of um, because okay so this is a big this is a big point for a lot of people um, 
is that I feel like I either see people say like, well, everyone's always trying to puzzle out Lynch's movies and try and, you know, solve the puzzle and understand and you can't solve the puzzle, you know, and why, why do people try and do this? And mm-hmm. I understand that. But then, and then there are other people who, who will say like, no, that puzzle is really, um, there is some sort of narrative puzzle here and mm-hmm. it's, it's important to understanding the larger themes and the story um, to understand that, you know, there are actually things going on here. And I think for me, it's, it's always kind of both, like mm-hmm. both things are present. Um, but I think the thing, the reason why a lot of people are uncomfortable dealing with the whole puzzle idea is because most film doesn't work that way. You know, we're not taught to watch things that way. Um, and we have to adjust our, the way that we look at things and the way our sort of expectations, the way that we view things. And there aren't very many signposts for that. Yeah. Um, outside of maybe Lynch's work, Lynch's work. I, I think the only other director, you know, that I can think of that's as big as Lynch who does that kind of symbolic meaning is like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe some, some of like surrealist directors and stuff um, kind of way back in the, um, earlier on, but mm-hmm. I think like um, there's something about his films that it is very constructed and it is very sort of um, y- you can't view it in the same way, and that that's important because I think watching a movie like Firewalk with Me that not just de- it doesn't just deal with like Laura Palmer's uh, abuse and stuff, but also deals with this like bizarre spirit realm. And all this other stuff, which you know ends up coming mm-hmm. up a lot more in the new series, is um, is that um, once you sort of see these things, like mm-hmm. once you see them captured, it's kind of hard to put them back in their box and forget about them. Um, and it kind of like, I, I mean, and this is how I feel again from watching New Twin Peaks is is once you sort of watch this and you get really into it and start to understand it, you start to see how uh, lacking a lot of other things are in terms of dealing with those issues. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think um, with with Lynch, it's an an unusual phenomenon where it's like to the... I agree there's like these two extremes that I think you have to kind of bounce between where it's like on the one hand people say they try they almost turn him into sort of like a Christopher Nolan type puzzle director where it's like this intellectual piecing and that's he's really not that at all on the other hand though I think people can go to the other extreme and just say it's just purely this sort of random sensory data and you know you can't you can't the, the patterns you're just imposing the patterns upon it and there's let yourself just go for the ride and don't question anything I think that actually is a good way to kind of watch or maybe experience his films the first time but I think upon revisiting it's clear there are patterns there there are um, connections but his puzzles are emotional they're not intellectual so that's what makes him so unusual I think is he's creating these systems but the systems are all based upon emotion if that makes sense yeah absolutely i think i think identifying that and being able to talk about it is a difficulty among yeah. a lot of people with lynch's work it, to today like people still i think struggle with identifying mm-hmm. that and i guess it's something that i feel like i might be able to understand a little more as somebody who does things with like video games mm-hmm. you know which deal 
with systems a lot more and you know explicit puzzle solving and you know it and it's funny that people uh mentioned a lot of people compared scenes in the new twin peaks to like old adventure games like mist and things like that mm-hmm. i don't know if you 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 saw like i don't know i i feel like i saw that come up like um to mist that's interesting what aspect of it did they feel was like that some of the like the digital aesthetic like especially oh, okay. a lot of the kind of like morphi- morphing and oh, okay. um you know like the the scenes inside whatever you want to call the the place the white lodge whatever yeah. the um things like that um that um yeah that seemed that seemed very like kind of not like corny but very obviously like digitally added effects um and and but there's also in a lot of those sort of old adventure games um and this is the thing that people would complain about a lot is um the the logic for the puzzles often didn't really make sense like sometimes you know it would require one thing to solve one puzzle, but then another puzzle, like, there would be a very bizarre solution. And oftentimes, maybe some of the solutions were driven by uh, narrative logic or things like that. And oftentimes, it was inconsistent in those games, and some of those games, a lot of those games had really bad puzzles, but the idea that, like, this this kind of mystery box that you're approaching and you kind of have to understand something about it to actually get into it I think is um is a really appealing one and it's not something that you really get to see very often with movies or a TV show um yeah that's an interesting point both from the graphic standpoint and from the sort of I don't know if narrative is the right word but that sort of standpoint as well um and I I've, I've never been that big of a gamer so it's sort of more um, I just sort of have a general sense of it, but it does seem like there was a lot of video game stuff going on in this in this series in a way that maybe wasn't present quite as much or at least not in these ways in earlier Lynch films. Yeah, so I guess um, before we get into just talking about Twin Peaks The Return, I, I guess I just wanted to give a shout out to Inland Empire, which is still my yeah. favorite my favorite David Lynch work, um, even with this new series, I think. Um, and and we'll talk about wh- why mm-hmm. when we talk about Twin Peaks The Return, but I think um, people who complained about um, some of the treatment of women in Twin Peaks The Return, which I did have issues with when I was watching through the series, I think now mm-hmm. that I understand maybe a little bit more about what the series is about, I feel like I can understand that mm. um, more but um like inland empire specifically um is something that i would that i call a feminist film and really um is also like a really uh redemptive film in the way that yeah i i guess fire walk with me is too but inland empire is really devoted for to like this sort of some kind of mystical psychic journey that mm-hmm. really ends in acknowledging trauma and being able to to move on from it in the way that is not resolved in the new Twin Peaks. Totally um, agree. Yeah, it's such an interesting companion piece to the return. I think. Um, but so so uh, talking about the return, um, I don't know. I guess. Uh, I guess we should. I I should just ask what 
are your sort of overall impressions with it um, after having seen all the episodes just a week or so after? Yeah, it's it's so much to digest. Um, it's interesting. There's almost sort of like two different answers, which is my impression of it sort of as it was unfolding, my questions and doubts, and then where the finale kind of left me with all of that. And I feel like maybe I had a little bit of a reverse experience than a lot of other people where they were like on board that like I, this is going to you know go somewhere great and blah 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 and then they were kind of crushed by the finale and just how it left things and where it went and and dissatisfied and I enjoyed the whole return but I was a little worried at times because it feels quite different from a lot of late Lynch films to me and in some ways um, almost a little bit it, it's both an advance in certain ways and a throwback in certain ways and part of me worried that my, my favorite Lynch films are some, you know, some of the ones that you've talked about. The, basically the late Lynch films, the stuff that springs directly out of Twin Peaks and particularly Firewalk with me. And I started to worry, it's like, well, is he just sort of past that phase and now into a, a, a new one that's sort of, like, are we going to get that kind of, you know, it's particularly structurally, it's like almost this sort of third act thing in all those movies where you just go off into this sort of dreamscape and the reality shifts and the characters and identities are all blurring and I, you're just going to this fascinating dream place. Yeah. And I got I guess, that. I, guess I got it, that yeah. from the finale, so I loved it. Yeah. You know? No, I love I loved the finale too, um, honestly. And the finale is what made me be able to get back on board with the yeah. series because everyone was talking about episode eight um, you know, when it aired, and I still don't know how I feel about Episode 8, um, I, honestly. I loved Episode 8, but it, it almost exists outside of Twin Peaks to a certain extent for me. I, I think there are some interesting connections with the rest of the show, but for the most part, it feels like this phenomenon that's sort of separate from what The Return does or doesn't do to a degree for me. Yeah. So I, I watched back through the whole series, mm -hmm. actually, um, because... I think I was a little frustrated with... I love the last two episodes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the analysis online, because it's only been a week or so, um, has revolved around the last two episodes yeah. and analyzing them. And, you know, for me, I'm like, if this is really like uh, Mulholland Drive style mm -hmm. thing, which I think I think that Twin Peaks The Return reminds me more of Mulholland Drive than anything else. Me honestly. too. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. And I think uh, because Mulholland Drive was originally intended to be a series on TV and also in originally intended to be like a spinoff of Twin Peaks, right? It, was that correct? Like, wasn't it supposed to be like about Audrey? I think, yeah, like way back when they the first came up with the title and like sort of the idea of trying to make a, a show called that, it was going to be like Audrey Goes to Hollywood. And then they never did it, but the idea kind of stuck around. So when someone or other came to him and was like, hey, ABC wants to do another show with you, uh, you know, that was sort of one of the ideas he, he grabbed. Yeah. Well, see, I wonder how many of those ideas from Mulholland Drive mm -hmm. ended up getting transported over into this mm -hmm. new Twin Peaks, because it's the first TV show that he's done since, yeah. you know, trying to do Mulholland Drive. Um, specifically, like, the scenes in Las Vegas mm -hmm. just feel so much like Mulholland Drive to me in the sort of, like, kind of, like, weird, absurd, goofy humor, like, a lot of kind of, um, I mean, I guess there's more sort of, like, 
just very things that are very like um constructed for TV like they're very kind mm-hmm. of uh TV drama ridiculous things but in kind of a surreal way yeah um a lot of yeah a lot of the scenes um particularly there is a scene in Mulholland Drive where the the guy tries to to do a hit on this other guy <laughs> right, to grab yeah. a book and then it screws up and there are like multiple scenes in Twin Peaks the Return that remind me of that scene um yeah that's a I agree totally. I, I think there's a lot of similarity between The Return and Mulholland Drive structurally and just conceptually and stuff. And the Vegas stuff really is at the heart of that. And I mean, you know, starring Naomi Watts is this sort of... but Like, her performance is pitched very much like the Betty part of Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And she yeah, even dresses true. a little like her at times. And so there's definitely the conscious links going on there, you know? Well, and it has the same sort of structure at the end where it turns very dark at the end. And, like, yes. yep. watching watching the um, you know the series again, I just finished the last few episodes last night. And I think when I was watching the first time through um, 17 and 18, I kind of, like, I, you know, you're, you, you're just happy that Cooper is, like, back, even though all this other weird stuff is happening. So I think... I was kind of still going with Cooper and following him mm-hmm. until that scene where he kind of just starts wandering around with the gun, like, and in the in the um, Judy's yeah. uh, diner, and he's just acting really weird. And then going back and watching it again, I noticed that his character just for that whole episode yeah. is is off and and a lot more kind of. A jerk and like um like it started to make me see sort of you know the, i really sort of got to understand what the overall direction of mm. the series was outside of like cooper um you know wanting to follow cooper and being really on his side but the thing that i really liked about your analysis of the last two episodes is that you put cooper front and center which of course you know it's it's hard to do anything else but i think that the character for me um and and i i feel like this has been confirmed from watching through the series again and Mm -hmm. there's still things that i don't understand i think like I don't want to I don't feel comfortable saying that the entire series is like Cooper's dream but mm-hmm. it's something it's something like that. <laughs> um there's there's an element of that that is a very very huge and central part of 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 Twin Peaks and like Cooper's character is the kind of central character and it's yes. it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, it's it's really it's interesting. They just came out with the cover art today for the third season Blu-ray, which interestingly, I guess the return was just the Showtime marketing gimmick. Like David Lynch doesn't call it that, so it's like never going to be called that again. <laughs> Apparently, it's just Twin Peaks season three. But the cover art is, um, you know, obviously Cooper one half. It's it's sort of like I don't know if you you do you have the entire mystery Blu-ray for Twin Peaks. No. It's a it's a picture of Laura's portrait, but there's like a hole in the cover and you can see the corpse wrapped in plastic underneath. It's like mm. splintered and fragmented. So this is a sort of a similar idea. It's Cooper, but one half of the it's sort of divided down the middle by a very sharp zigzag and one side is Mr. C and the other side is Cooper slash Dougie. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, the good the good Cooper. And uh, so it, it's interesting. Like, well, that's a there's a whole other question we could sort of delve into, and, and maybe we will later. But of how this relates to what Firewalk Me does with Twin Peaks and what the original series is pitched as, blah 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 blah. But I think it's I think the return is definitely Cooper's struggle in his story. And I think what I'm sort of struggling with now is the question of does was this necessary in some way? I think I no matter what, I, I love this series for being new Lynch material and just doing all these interesting things. And so it's already a success for me on that front. But I've also got sort of a vested interest in Twin Peaks as a whole, as a singular kind of work with a unusual um, approach, but that, you know, up till now it took you from the pilot to Firewalk with me. So my question that I'm, I'm intrigued to dig into over the next few months or even the next year is this is Cooper's story. What does it tell us about him that maybe we couldn't already deduce from the season two finale? Um, what new does it sort of what new material does it sort of add to that? And I feel like there are probably some things. I'm I'm sort of on the fence right now as as to mm. what I think those are and how it works. I have a feeling that if the return is an essential new piece of Twin Peaks, it's centered around the Dougie material somehow, even mm. though that seems in some ways like the light, most lighthearted and sort of, um, you know, it was something people kept waiting for it to end, which was hilarious to me because I knew, uh, I knew pretty early oh, on, the, this is not, the, this is the core of the series. This isn't going, yeah. <laughs> but people well, the, saying every week, this is it. The baseball woke him up. The, this woke him up. The, <sighs> The sex yeah. up. It was well, like every. It was pretty funny. I, yeah, <laughs> I thought for a while, but but when it reaches a certain point at the end, like yeah. you know when when he was um like as far as like especially episodes sixteen and seventeen, I yeah. pretty much. I I know some people were like, oh, I thought he was never gonna win. I I I knew it was gonna happen. He had I knew to it was gonna happen. Yeah, something yeah happened. But I knew that it wouldn't be until the final stretch. Um, yeah. Once I sort of saw what they were setting up with that, it was like. Um, you know, I I knew it wouldn't be till the final third and probably the final few, but I, so I I suspect whatever's essential, like the way that the finale is, the way that the reveal is essential for telling us that you know Leland killed and abused Laura, and the way that um, the finale is central for showing us Cooper's downfall, and the way that the uh, firewalk with me is essential for positioning Laura as the center of this and making her subjectivity an actual thing um, if if the return has anything like that I think it, it yeah it has to do with Cooper um, expanding on what we know from the finale but maybe adding something new to it too and I'm I'm not yet sure what that new thing is but I think it might be there I think it's there. I don't think I can say exactly what it is, but I guess one thing that occurred to me, you know, when I was watching through the series for the first time, I really, I went back and forth for a while, and it took me until maybe the last several episodes, maybe the last, like, four <laughs> episodes. I think I think the point where I decided that I actually really did like the series and was completely on board was... Um, the beginning of the episode where Nadine um, uh, walks up to Big Ed and she's like, you know, um, I've been a real 
bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and like that, cause that, that was just something like really, I don't know that I, I guess it was sort of fan service, but it, yeah. was in, it, it but it was, it was fan service in a way that felt a, sort of weirdly appropriate. Yeah. Um, we needed something like that. And it, yeah, that really like launched a bunch of other things that happened in that episode that I felt like were, you know, really got me back to, got me on board permanently. But, um, when I was watching it, you know, for the first many episodes i sort of kept feeling like david lynch really just keeps wants to keep reminding us that twin peaks is not a good place and like he just really wants to hammer it over our heads over and over again because it just felt like every scene in twin peaks it was always something bad happening and um i think that was like kind of the overwhelming perception that i had and i i had again like while watching this of this the really strange divide between uh, the world of Twin Peaks and like the Las Vegas sort of stuff because mm. Twin Peaks is like there, dark stuff happens in Twin Peaks in the series but there's also a lot of kind of just goofy and fun stuff and in in the return it's just it's just there's it's just you know it's like 80% just I don't know. It just felt like everything was going wrong in the world of Twin Peaks mm. and everything was sort of at its seams. And um, there's just something really wrong about it. And I, it, it made me think about when I was rewatching um, the sort of dynamic of like, it's, it's hard for me to think about the series without thinking about like, you know, America in 2017, like, mm-hmm. um, and specifically, um, sort of ideas of like poverty and and drug addiction and stuff that affect communities like Twin Peaks Mm. um in that like these are places where that are very kind of unstable that aren't really sort of keeping themselves together and yet there's also this kind of boiling sort of hatred and resentment against um and I mean, it, it really sort of came out to me with the Dr. Jacoby, Alex Jones <laughs> stuff, um, that there's just like this boiling resentment against this kind of establishment or these establishment figures, which could be, um, or, you know, people from the outside uh, who don't necessarily really understand what's happening in these places, who for me was really represented by like the FBI and Cooper specifically mm. of su- Cooper who's coming in as somebody who kind of sees this small town as this nice place where nothing bad ever happens. And he doesn't really actually understand the kind of maybe some of the, the root of, you know, he doesn't actually really understand what these places are and what's actually happening in them to some extent. Yeah. I mean, well, we're, people have pointed out a lot. We're seeing like twin peaks without Cooper kind of, which is an interesting way to kind of look at it. Like that, you know, maybe this is more what it, what it is not through his sort of eyes. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting too. You bring that up because, um, I was, I was just on the podcast Discourse Collective and they were kind of drawing a similar conclusion about that um, this sort of like this representation of poverty and Twin Peaks and how that relates to sort of where especially like a lot of like rural America is in 2017 versus in 1990 you know um, yeah it's 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 
it's interesting too, and I, I feel like this is a good point to bring in Mark Frost as well, because I think a lot of that too may have to do with with Frost. Um, mm-hmm. I think he sometimes has a more overt political bent in some of his work, and certainly on his like Twitter and stuff like that, you know. Um, so I, it would be interesting to kind of dig into that and see sort of what each of them kind of brought brought to that and and how they kind of made it relevant. I don't know if I have anything more to add than that, but but yeah, I just I appreciate those thoughts. They're 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 interesting, and I feel like there's something that I was sort of semi-conscious of while watching the show, but there were so many other things that I was sort of thinking about that it's something that's sort of arising more almost in retrospect. And it's interesting, too, because in my mind, I sort of saw there were two possibilities of where Twin Peaks could go in this series, I, I thought. And one of them was that it's become sort of this gentrified tourist hotspot. Well, and the other... You know, yeah, yeah, well, the other was that it's actually become totally run down and like a meth haven and all the stuff. And the interesting thing is they kind of did both. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like it was They actually kind of incorporated both elements in there. Because like the, the roadhouse, yep. like, I mean, that that was my first uh, impression, you know, when I watched it. It's like, oh, the roadhouse is yeah. filled with hipsters. Because like, why, why, why else would the chromatics be playing at the roadhouse, yeah. you know, <laughs> like that? Um, but speaking of that, I think like... Also, having rewatched the series, I appreciate the the musical uh, numbers so much. I think mm-hmm. they're they're a big reason why. Uh, I think that like if there's one reason why I'm happy the show exists, that's that's definitely one of the biggest yeah. reasons. Um, and I didn't feel that way, you know, watching it first. It felt kind of awkward. Yeah, but. I think the more that you get into the series, well, first of all, like I think the the thing that made me really realize that the the songs were reflecting the narrative themes was when Eddie Vedder was playing the song, you know, um, uh, about um, different versions of yourself and like you know this that you can't ever really be anything more than what you are, and that like um, you know this this kind of like struggling wanting this different life that, that you've never had and you have to sort of admit that that isn't really something mm. that you've ever had and this this fantasy isn't can't be maintained or whatever and that happens immediately preceding sort of Audrey yeah breaking definitely. out of some sort of fantasy and going back um a lot of the songs reference either dreaming or people not remembering things that happened in the past like there's a lot of references to yeah. like you know i i don't remember um and there's a lot of dialogue that references that too so i think like and this is something lynch said himself like the real core of of the theme of the series was this feeling of of not really um like you're sort of you're occupying I guess it's like being in a state of being where you're sort of um, like in you're 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 occupying yourself, but you're not yourself. Like things mm. have changed, and you don't remember the past, and mm. and the future has sort of changed in this way that is very strange, and um, it 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 doesn't feel real. Um, like mm. there's something unreal about it. Um, and like slowly coming to terms with the fact that there is something you know that you 
haven't acknowledged, maybe the reason that this is happening are there things that you haven't acknowledged or you haven't sort of been able to deal with. Like the world is, is decaying in a way because um, you're not yourself. Hmm. Now, are you sa- you're saying, did you say that Lynch said this or that you see him sort of well, expressing this? Like, he said he said that the series was about returning uh-huh. I think it was something about like returning to after a, sort of, returning to something after a long time interesting away or like um finding kind of discovering a new form of yourself or whatever I can't remember exactly yeah the, what I said. know there was one where he said um in relation to Cooper, like it's coming into the world and finding the things that you like and and everything like that. Um, but that, but just the general thought of what you're saying, I think is is really interesting. Um, this yeah, this that... idea of of almost. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't know what the exact. It's not dissociation, but it's like something else. Where you you're you're sort of feeling um, well, maybe the word will come to me. But anyways, yeah, sorry, keep going. Well, it, it's yeah, this feeling like you're not really processing the things that are happening around. Like there's all this like sort of trauma around you mm-hmm. that you're not really be able to. Um, to, to deal with and in the world of Twin Peaks that's very obvious but then in the world of of Las Vegas um, those things suddenly just magically work out mm. via you know like these deus ex machinas mm. that consistently happen and I mean like that was the other thing that I hated about the new series for a long time and I think I'm starting to understand was that evil I just hated evil Cooper as a character mm. Be- not because Interesting. he not because he was a bad guy, I mean, that's obvious, yeah. but because he was a boring antagonist because he was all-powerful. Mm. Like, you know, anything... Like, there's one thing that doesn't make any sense to me, and it's still, like, I realize how little this any of it makes sense, the, like, Evil Cooper trying to assassinate um, Dougie. Mm-hmm. Like, the different sort of plot threads and like all that you know that revolve around different people trying to assassinate him like like it just it's so absurd like the fact that he's hiring like all these hitmen to to take care of Dougie and then then they don't and then he kills them I get he but like how is he doing all this these sort of machinations Mm -hmm. you know behind the scenes and then if if you accept that he's doing all these things what does that really mean like does that really just totally take the whole purpose of the story to say that like cooper you know he's either a really good or a really evil guy and um he can magically do these things because why not like what does that really mean for the world of the story like what is that that doesn't really say anything you know that's sort of like the Mm -hmm. that's what i call it's like what i think of is like the the harry potter situation where um you have a character that becomes kind of so popular and so sort of all-powerful that they can just kind of do anything and they're not really they kind of cease to be human after a certain point um and i i felt that way you know with with cooper and with with evil cooper and with dougie like you know the reason it works is just because like 
it it's played for it's kind of played for laughs mm-hmm. you know um but hmm. it, there's something uh, a you know and i i mean i think that the the black and white nature of of the two coopers is reflected by cooper himself seeing things in black and white um, yeah interesting and you know there's this sort of you know things that are that are obviously horrible um that that but don't really like there's a one scene where um where Richard Horn is robbing his mom, um, or no, his grandmother, uh, like his grandmother's house, and like uh, Johnny Horn is like kind of tied up, and there's this like mm-hmm. weird doll saying, "Hello, Johnny, how are you today?" Um, and like that scene has like this bizarre like music. It you know playing during it like it has this like really kind of almost like happy and joyous seeming music. It's kind of like a scene from like Clockwork Orange or something. Mm. Uh, um, but it just seems totally at odds, you know, because other scenes where bad stuff happens, it plays you know dark evil music. But that scene, it's kind of like it's and it's not a funny scene. Mm. The fact the fact that that's played kind of the the scene just seems so ridiculous like it, it and it just kind of emphasizes how much of an over the top character Richard Horn is and it kind of how much he doesn't feel particularly r- real that kind of evil doesn't feel particularly yeah, real yeah i don't know how i think richard is one of the uh, there's a lot of stuff in the in the series that um maybe i struggle with or this or that but i've kind of come to accept someone i'm not sure if richard really works and i have some thoughts about that uh, that are kind of like you know i always kind of have fun sort of speculating and thinking what happened behind the scenes blah 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 so i i'm not totally sure not totally sure what richard really achieves in the narrative or like why he's there kind of uh, and i think um i Eamon um, Ferris or the the actor I think he does an amazing job like I think he's really good in that part Um, and the scenes are well directed and they're disturbing and everything but looking back on it now from the vantage point of everything else I'm I'm not I'm not sure and I I may come to different conclusions I think it is interesting that Cooper's referred to in that letter in the final episode as Richard um you know, and the giant says Richard and Linda and everything. So, yeah. so maybe there's well, something that, to dig into there. But there, there is a Linda that appears in the series. In like, um, yeah, a a guy mentions that his yeah. his like aunt Linda's is like is in a wheel. Is trying to get like uh, benefits or something. Does and he's he in say a wheelchair. his aunt? Because for some reason I thought it was his wife. Oh, but I don't know I if he it, actually. It might have been. It and might have been his wife. So I actually I, read speculation. People are saying maybe that's going to be Annie's daughter and Richard and Linda are, tw- are not twins, but they're children of the different Coopers, and they're going to come together. And they, and yeah, so, that didn't Yeah, there was all this anticipation, happen, and then Richard just got fried, and Bad Cooper was like, you know, goodbye, my son. And that was it. And so at that point, I was, I was kind of like, I don't know if Richard really – and it feels funny to say this about Twin Peaks because you kind of accept – that it's sprawling and that Lynch has all these little sketches he's drawing here and there and you kind of almost can't you know you can question if you want but if you 
get something from it and if it does something interesting you kind of accept that it's there like this was like twin peaks with the missing pieces left in you know that's kind of the nature of the return so it sounds funny in that context but i kind of can't help feeling richard didn't really need to be there and i'm not sure what he added well that's already there with other characters and situations and i do have a thought on that that's totally speculatory but i'll get to that in a second (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it goes back to me about um, the 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 return echoing the the structure of Mulholland Drive in that, like, I think there's an element that isn't. I I don't know if it's exactly a dream space or something, but it's a, it's it's much more sort of psychological and and like. I think we have to question whether things that are happening are really happening to some degree in yeah. the story. Um, especially when it's been so many years after the original story, it seems it almost seems odd to want to revisit it when you know, like the original story has kind of been resolved. Mm-hmm. So the I, and maybe and maybe the whole purpose of revisiting it it was to show that revisiting it was impossible in a way, or like you know that you can't really ever go back. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's something that like definitely needs to be thought about. Um, you know, when rewatching yeah. the series. Yeah, I've thought. I've been thinking a lot about that too, and it sort of ties into what I was saying about was this a necessary part of Twin Peaks, or did this, you know, even if it's just good on its own terms, does it add something new? And it's like, um, so for me, I have a kind of a problem if if if. Our, t- our takeaway from the return ends up being telling us sort of like well you you kind of can't go back to Twin Peaks again and by coming back we're actually pointing to Firewalk with me and saying no this is the center you're kind of wrong for even wanting the story and blah 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 I mean on one level I can appreciate that because I do think Firewalk with me is like you know key and the greatest part of Twin Peaks and all of that but it wasn't like they had to make this series they chose to go make it so it almost feels like a weird self-fulfilling prophecy so i like i need their you know i i need something more to kind of justify it for me because if it's just about its own sort of pointlessness not you know it, it, in a narrative what does it bring to twin peaks sense then i think i kind of see it as a little bit too self-referential like it's you know other parts of twin peaks like had to be made certain ways because of outside circumstances or whatever and the material responds to that in interesting ways but this was something that they themselves chose to do you know what i mean well well there there are still outside circumstances though when you think about it because like lynch couldn't get any that's film true funded i've heard people after yeah. and like out. the the uh, like his opportunity to do the new series was probably predicated in, on the fact that it was Twin Peaks. Like if he was doing a new series, it would like an entirely new TV show, TV series. It would have, you know, a fraction yeah. of the attention paid to it. So I do think that that's a factor. And like you know, if you're thinking yeah. about it, if you're thinking about it from the perspective of someone who's an artist who wants to make a statement about something and is has to kind of use what hands they've been dealt I mm. think it's not uh, it's not out of the question mm. to think about it in that way um, because you know even David Lynch although he seems 
his work seems, you know, uh, to be this wonderful, self-contained, beautiful work. I think there's kind of a, a um, and and I'm sure David Lynch wants maybe wants it to be seen that way in some ways. There's kind of a fallacy there because it is inevitably um, the work made by a person affected by the conditions in which they were making the work and. Yep. Um, you know, as much as David Lynch has tried to live in his own universe, um, there it's it's impossible. Like culture on the outside has affected him and his films and the things that he's made immensely. And I think maybe Twin Peaks, this new Twin Peaks, is one of the first things that I've seen that's actually tried to reconcile that. Like, and and there has been more stuff about you know, current day culture and stuff mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks. And maybe that's maybe that's part of his artistic evolution is acknowledging that, you know, that it isn't that it can't be this entirely self contained universe mm-hmm. or whatever. That there there has to be um something coming in from outside of it. I don't know. So that's something to think about, I would say. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's it's something I think that question and that 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 understanding of what both how it functions as a unit unto itself and also how it functions within the larger context of Twin Peaks are sort of going to be things that I I will be exploring quite a bit I think in 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 upcoming work you know just kind of grappling with that um, now, actually, one thing to go back and rewind, because I, I kind of forgot about it, but the Richard thing, I just wanted to throw this idea out there. Um, I do think I get the sense, a strong sense from Sherilyn Fenn's interviews and from rumors at the time that she didn't like what they had written for her and that possibly what we've seen was a rewrite that both solves that problem and actually kind of metatextually addresses that problem in in the show itself which i find really intriguing i don't know if that's the case it's it's sort of um guesswork at this point but it does make me wonder as well if um maybe the material she was in was like more related to richard like maybe when he comes in and attacks sylvia this is totally speculatory again maybe that was supposed to be audrey and like maybe that was like one of her only few scenes or something and mm she was just like so it's interesting well, it's 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 hard to speculate on yeah it's kind of totally stuff. like it's... i want to keep qualifying that this is just me trying to piece together clues but it makes me wonder if richard's story was supposed to go somewhere a little bit different and have more to do with audrey and all of that and so therefore part of the reason he seems like a dead end in the narrative is because that aspect of his role was sort of cut short by those circumstances Again, well, I, I it's hard for I'm intrigued. <laughs> it's it's hard it's hard to make that excuse, I think, because just because of how much creative control that they have. Like I I feel like you kind of just have to look at what's there yeah. and assume that sure, it was sir. intended to be there. Yeah, and I think whether or not it's intended to be, they would not make something they would they would come to a like Lynch would come to a place where he was happy with what he was doing even if it wasn't the hand that he was originally wanted to be dealt or something, you know? Yeah. I, but I, yeah, just with I like... am just intrigued because I do like that behind the scenes kind of... I like to know the hand he was dealt as well as the way he yeah. dealt. I have that I, I, sort of interest. 
Yeah, I think that I think there is a thing though that it can distract from what the actual thing is there. I mean, you kind of like I I think it's important to separate out from what was completed in with that other stuff as much as possible. Um I, because Yeah. Keep going, sorry. I, just because that's that's what he's yep. that's what he's put there and you know, like I, I don't know. I mean, I feel the same way about the missing pieces uh with Firewalk with me, which I I'm like I I love to see those scenes, yeah. but I'm also very glad that they were cut out. Yeah, me too. Um, and knowing but, that people, you know, made fan edits and stuff, which I, it's just, uh, you know, I think that's yeah. missing the point to a certain extent, unless it's just a totally intellectual exercise to kind of see, oh, this was there and whatever. Yeah. Um. Actually, I wanted to it? just sort of comment because I, I do agree with you to a certain extent and I think Lynch definitely agrees with you because he always says you know like with Mulholland Drive like forget about the pilot like this is the movie don't even like don't even try to find out what was in the pilot doesn't matter etc etc um, for me it's a little different and I think actually learning some of the context has actually helped me understand certain things in different ways I think particularly with Firewalk with me um like and I do think you're right. You, you have to tread with caution with this stuff, and you have to not give it too much importance. However, with Firewalk with me, I think it's interesting to learn to what extent he added certain things during the production, and how that was like contingent upon particularly like Cheryl Lee's um, wishes for the character and sort of observing her throw herself into this performance. And yeah. to me, that's sort of thrown it's it's shown an interesting perspective not just on firewalk with me but also inland empire which i feel is among other things a sort of um reflects that experience of working with with her on firewalk with me yeah well so uh, a thing with inland empire mm-hmm. um that i also because well, i mean i agree with you that 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 stuff can be valuable i just don't think it should um necessarily come into play when we're talking about like plot interpretations mm-hmm. or yeah, fair you know, things like that especially with something like Twin Peaks the Return where he definitely had you know as much creative control as anyone could have probably yeah, in that situation definitely. but um the thing i was going to say about the, i i i think i i saw i i don't know um how recently this was i think it was for the Criterion DVD of Mulholland Drive but i saw um some clips online of first of all there was one fairly long interview um with Lynch and Naomi Watts and some other people about the making of Mulholland Drive and there was also some clips mm-hmm. um during filming and during the clips of filming like um Naomi Watts is really s- kind of struggling with the scenes and she's just kind of saying like fuck I can't remember that line you know mm-hmm. and, and things like that and you know she said in the interview um that her career was really struggling and you know mm-hmm. that you know she it was she was in a really kind of difficult place and just kind of tired of being passed over and that's something that is like you see <laughs> directly kind of yeah. inf- you know referenced in the plot of Mulholland Drive yeah. but also also like um she is like obviously really struggling with the character and doing the scenes um that she's doing and David Lynch is trying to encourage her and being like you know like uh just hang in there and all that kind of stuff mm. but i think that kind of watching this uh actress go through you know these really kind of harrowing scenes mm. um particularly 
you know, with Cheryl Lee, also with yeah. like Laura Dern, also in you know Laura Dern's and um, uh, Naomi Watts stuff, uh, definitely like influence the direction of his work, particularly with Mulholland Drive yeah. and Inland Empire. Yeah. Um, but because it like that's literally what Inland Empire is about is like yeah. this this kind of actress. Um, well, let me ask you, what do you think? Uh, what was your take on Diane in? Twin Peaks, uh, The Return, because that's a character that seems to have been um, almost more controversial than I would have expected in terms of people not liking the direction she's taken and stuff like that. I don't know. It's like, I guess this is, this kind of adds to my feeling like um, we can't take what is happening on the screen like at at each moment literally mm-hmm. because it contradicts itself mm-hmm. so many times and it it seems to do so in a way that is like like calling attention to the fact that it's contradicting itself um i don't know like it's 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 difficult um it's i mean i think like laura dern did a great job obviously mm-hmm. um i'm i mean she's an amazing actress but um I really think of like Diane as like kind of the character that is like Cooper's it kind of maybe exposes um that Cooper isn't such this great guy that we think that he is necessarily. Like maybe he did uh really fuck up and with her and like the, his treatment of her is in a particular way that kind of denies her a certain sort of agency mm. or whatever, and that inevitably maybe leads her to you know leave and kind of disappear at the end of the story um because she's never really handled in a way that's by him that is like respectful or whatever it just like i mean the other thing is like um David Lynch's treatment. Of well, I mean, I guess we can get into this in general. Like David Lynch's treatment of gender and race, and th- those are things that people talk about a lot. As you know, things that leave something to to be desired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's true. Like specifically, I mean, I think he has directed films that are you know can be considered very feminist. I I love Inland Empire especially, um, but he has a very particularly like binary view of gender Mm, definitely yeah yeah and for me as somebody who's you know uh i'm trans like that is something that it's hard for me to watch and not think about Mm -hmm. and with something um and and like so that's something that i think uh is so is reflected by lynch and is also reflected by cooper and I think maybe Cooper's downfall is the way that he doesn't see that his fate is connected to that of like female characters. Mm. That he sees himself as this protector sort of outside of it. And he sees himself and and these kind of like like in the whole like bookhouse boys thing, like that that is somehow those male protectors are somehow separate from the female victims. The fact that mm. those things can't somehow come together. And I think that that is like a bar, a large part of his downfall uh, for me. And, and maybe that is somewhat comes to the surface with, um, with the new series, but also like, 
his his treatment of of race is something that I feel like um it's also worth discussing because he just generally ignores the issue yeah um but there are times you know that people mentioned um like the 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 woodsman spirits kind of looking like they they were blackface you know yeah um and I think like it is interesting to think about because um, I think of those spirits as being kind of the same entity as like the homeless guy in Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like really think about what the homeless guy in Mulholland Drive means, um, it's this sort of fear of the main character or it's this sort of fear of acknowledging this kind of um, abject sort of poverty or suffering or like this fear of of being sort of not able to control your trauma and being in a situation where you're kind of left behind by society or um, you're uh, you don't have a voice or something mm-hmm. like you uh, you're not this glamorized idealized sort of portrait you know of that like the women in David Lynch's films are in particular so um I think and and I in a in in a way that that sort of representative of uh the experience of marginalized people particularly like people of color and that sort of they sort of there's some sort of dealing with that a little bit in Inland Empire although there's still issues with that but I think like the fact that that the I think like those kind of spirits are kind of like boogeymen in a way mm-hmm. like they're a, they're a fear they're reflective of a fear and they're reflective of a fear uh, maybe uh, uh, that like white America has about mm-hmm. black America or, or about acknowledging a certain kind of trauma or about um, that so I think like that's a great point it, yeah yeah um, and I th- that's something that's that that is really embodied in his work I feel mm-hmm. like so it, it's kind of hard to look at his work in a way that you know like the, these issues are present but you don't know what exactly David Lynch's position yeah. on them is I guess and it's it's more complicated than other directors so it's hard to just dismiss it outright but it's I think it's valuable to think about this this stuff too because it does show that like there's something um there's something like missing in his movies mm-hmm. but maybe it's like stuff like Twin Peaks the return is calling attention to some of the things that are missing in in his universe too so i i don't know well it's funny because the the um or sorry keep going no no i i was going i was just going to ask you what you think what you thought about that yeah no that's a, that's a really you made a lot of really interesting points and i think the gender aspect in his work it's extremely highlighted and like you said there's very much like the sort of this binary at play where he's not even just sort of talking about men and women in general. He's like coding it in a very specific way where it's the the masculine problems are a specific set of problems and the feminine problems are a specific set of problems. Um, and sort of using that almost allegorically, um, but also embedding it in an, an actual characters who are defined as male or female you know what i mean so it's like it, i can see how that would be kind of problematic in that in that sense um what's interesting with race is 
he doesn't foreground it at all. It, it, certainly in the way of, of gender, it's almost sort of this absence. And therefore, those sort of manifestations where, like you're talking about um, the woodsmen being sort of almost looking like they're in blackface or whatever, and representing this sort of primal fear of this, this sort of 50s white Americana or whatever of like, you know, the outside intruder and racially coding that, but then also dissociating it from any explicit racial coding because you know it's it's sort of several steps removed from that just in a variety of ways but it's interesting because that makes me think you know that's an episode that's referencing so many different movies and that makes me think quite a bit of of birth of a nation which in a totally non-ironic way you know or non-self-conscious way is is positioning itself as this movie about white america threatened by the, the you know the the basically black america and doing so through this extremely exaggerated, unintentionally exaggerated use of blackface, of like white characters literally just making themselves up in, in you know, covering covering themselves in like, you know, black black face paint and and grimacing and just in this sort of like inhuman, very dehumanizing way and everything. Um, so that's sort of interesting to. To consider, especially because um, in in Lynch's work, a lot of times it's a sort of a more ambivalent presentation of um, this of of this sort of idealized America being threatened by the uh, you know ex external eerie forces. Um, it it you get a sense that he's actually kind of ambivalent about what that means in terms of if it's just this... I think his earlier work is very much defined more in terms of a binary where you have, like, good guy protects, you know, from the, the world, from the bad yeah. guy in Dune. And even to it, Blue Velvet starts to blur it a little bit. Wild at Heart um, opens up some cracks in it, and then I think Twin Peaks starts with that dynamic and then blows it wide open by the time it gets to Firewalk with me. Totally subverts that. So, the return is interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm answering any, any of these questions you've raised, but just kind of like exploring them in, re in real time as we talk about them. But it's interesting that the return um, in some sense in some ways sort of rolls back the clock on some of the things that we see sort of advancing in Lynch's understanding and the complexity of the work. Um, and then at the end, maybe asks us, maybe positions it in a way where whether or not that's, whether or not he's doing that quote unquote on purpose, it contextualizes it in a way where it um, maybe makes some sense of why that's happening and how that relates to the earlier work. If that well, yeah, sense. so, yeah. Yeah, well, like, in Blue Velvet, um, you know, the bad things go away at the end of the, the movie, and, yep. you know, like, there's birds chirping, and, and th everything is fine, you know? Yes. Um, and in, even in Twin Peaks, that happens, you know, and, and some of that mm. was not David Lynch. Yeah, um, that's so, I think that's, that's the whole key, isn't it? It's like, eight, episode 14 pivots him away from that, and episode 16 reasserts it that dynamic without him present for it and that's where but, everything cracks kind of 
but but you have to think that maybe he's he's addressing that or commenting mm-hmm. on that in some way because that is Twin Peaks, you know. Yeah. Just because it's not him doesn't mean it's not because there are things for a f- at least a few things from those episodes that he that he didn't direct that he's referenced. Right. Um, like people mentioned the gl- the glowing sound effect in mm-hmm. in the the lodge being a thing that comes up yeah. at you know in some random season two episode that he didn't direct. Um, so. I yeah I think um and you know after after that work you see you see things where like um once the the darkness is opened up uh there isn't someone to come and and save everything and the world isn't you know necessarily um made a better place by you know uh these things being solved um in fact it might actually be the opposite and this person might actually be um, if not the antagonist, then someone who is not necessarily coming in with good intentions. And I think at the end of the day, that's sort of where Twin Peaks: The Return leaves us. Um, in in that sort of like, uh, we we're not necessarily in the place where we've been able to get through um, a lot of the uh, the trauma and and and. Uh, fucked up stuff and and out the other end in the way that like inland empire you know or or um uh far walk with me has kind of a happy ish ending mm-hmm. um so it it just the fact that it's opening it up it's going back and then it's the fact that it's going back to a lot of those tropes and then it's opening it up at the end yeah. and saying like hey hey this is actually not so great i think shows the difference mm-hmm. between um, what you know, Twin Peaks of before and David yep. Lynch of before and David Lynch now, and it definitely plants him in you know uh, David Lynch of the past you know fifteen or twenty years. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think like especially after uh, watching over the new series, I I just think it, it is a really special thing and. Um, while I can't like intellectually explain exactly why I think things that are there are important or valuable, um, I think that they are, and I think it's it's apparent, you know, the more that you spend time with other things, mm. just how much um, is kind of like left out, how much of is not left out and not dealt with in other works of art that are dealt with in, in one way or another and David Lynch's work and Twin Peaks in general and I, I just I think I guess my hope is that um, and maybe this is being too hopeful is that there will be more works of art like this and there will be more people in the future who will expand some of the, the territory of David Lynch's work yeah. into something else um, because there really aren't that many people out there like that um, if any at all um, and it's kind of it's hard to think of a, a world without without David Lynch um, you know yeah and I think it's interesting too because I think you're right like there needs to be something of like the spirit of Lynch and I think part of the problem with you know when you when people talk about Lynchian and this and that it's often sort of taking I don't want to say superficial aspects because they're important aspects of his work but they're sort of like the stylistic ticks or something 
And I think what needs to happen and will be more interesting eventually when it does happen is people taking what's actually at the core of his work and then filtering that through their own sensibility or understanding so that it doesn't feel like it's like a lynch pastiche or trying to knock him off, but yet it's it's got something of that of that um, spirit of of expressing certain like ideas and feelings um, and following maybe perhaps something of a of a dream logic without necessarily doing so in the exact same way that he does. Well, yeah, I mean. To go back to this, I, that's what I really liked about your video with Firewalk about Firewalk with me, and your video about your videos about Twin Peaks in general mm-hmm. is that you identify the issues in David Lynch's work about their core. That the fact is their core are things that are very real yeah. and very relevant, and they're very. I mean, and this is something also in like uh, that Na- Naomi Watts was saying in that Mulholland Drive interview was that she felt like the the most important thing uh to david lynch for her when she was acting was truth like getting at some sort of truth Mm. um and that's something that is like lost when you're talking about all the sort of puzzles and obfuscations and, and weird things that he does in his movies but like you think about it and like yeah he's directing a movie about like with mulholland drive he's directing a movie about hollywood that deals with you know the really fucked up things that actually happen in Hollywood um in a way that is kind of way more honest and real than you know th- oftentimes a lot of things that purport to be about reality but are often just way more fantasy than than that and i think um that can kind of get forgotten when people talk about his work cuz they think about all the craziness and not understanding what's going on and mm-hmm. you know like the imagery and stuff and they don't get that the, the the whole point of it is to use that to get to the core of something and yeah i i really i mean it's a difficult thing to do artistically um i really hope that more people in the future are are able to to use the sort of tools and things that he's opened up um and expand them because i don't know it's just like i said being a a, such a huge fan of his work and particularly his later stuff it just makes me aware of how little stuff there is out there else like it you know yeah i agree i and i hope the same thing um okay let's see if i'm trying to think if there's anything else i wanted to talk about before we finish up um is there anything else you wanted to talk about with the new series um i don't know i mean I, I, like i said there's so much he could go on forever but um yeah. i mean so go ahead I'm in, I'm intrigued by the sort of the Diane question, which we got into a little bit, just because I've been having a lot of conversations about that online, and just sort of surprised to see that people really just felt like that wasn't handled well. But I almost feel like that, and especially like the way it also sort of touches on Laura Dern's performance in Vampire and everything, it's almost like too much of a can of worms to open up at this point. You know, it would be like another hour of just discussing that. So I think we kind of covered it well enough for now. Yeah, I just, in general, with a lot of those details, I don't feel comfortable really... I mean, I, I can say what my impressions were, yeah. but now having... Yeah. But, like, now having watched through the series, uh, 
um, I I don't I, I'm not as attached to my emotional reaction, mm. and I'm I think I'm trying to understand the place that they occupy within the entirety of the series. Interesting, so things, yeah. Yeah, so things that seem like kind of weird or out of place now are starting to like you know become things that I understand more as like, you know, okay, this is part of the this is part of the piece. What is this piece trying to say? You know, independent of my emotions about that. Um and like I mean I always had I think I had complicated feelings about but Diane, but I wasn't um I wasn't dismissive. I I mean I didn't I didn't have that feeling of like, you know, really not liking her. Maybe just cuz I was happy that Laura Dern was yeah. <laughs> in the series at all. But uh I don't know. I I just uh it's it's complicated. Yeah. I think like I think when you're talking about Diane, you also have to talk about something that, you know, many of my friends had also observed in that there are so many women that are uh <laughs> basically hysterical at various points in the series mm. and that is like a very common occurrence of like women being kind of like just on the edge and freaking out and you know with like um sheriff truman's wife and um you know uh, t to a point where it almost seems unnecessary uh, and that's kind of what makes me think that maybe there's this is part of a larger thing yeah you know, um, and that I, it can't just be read in the way of like, well, David Lynch sees all these women as hysterical because it doesn't. There's so many like, there's like, if you want to, if you want to do that, like, if you want to look at all the plot details and try and understand how they make sense within the world of the thing, like, there's so many of them just don't make any sense. Like, it, you could because you could ask literally that question. You know, the question that you were asking about Richard Horn, I feel yeah. like you could ask that question about a lot of things in this series. And that's what's making me be like, okay, well, this, this is why I need to understand what's going on. Because, like, like I said, the, the Cooper assassination plot stuff doesn't make any sense to me either. Like, it, it, it's just, it just seems stupid mm -hmm. to me. Like, and someone, there's a lot of the series that seems like that. And because of that, like, you know, you could try and go and look at the individual pieces and try and understand how they might make sense. But I think it's really important to try and look at the larger picture and that there might be something else going on here that, you know, we're missing right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's only a, a week or so after the finale. So I'm sure people will start to piece that together. But that's just something that um, I want to put out there. But I, I mean, I'll really look forward to, to your videos and things that you're doing in the future because I'm sure that there will be met, much heated discussion about this series for for a pretty long time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, the like I mean, just as an aside, um as somebody who's been really into Lynch's work for the past 10 years, the I only just got aware of him when Inland Empire came out, and that movie wasn't exactly popular. Mm -hmm. Um so there being a, a new David Lynch work where everyone is talking about it, everyone's seeing it, and I mean, certainly there are people who aren't, but like the a work that is so bizarre and strange and has so many different things going on it that so many people are talking about and so many people are kind of trying to break apart is really sort of just fabulous to me. I, I'm like super <laughs> overjoyed about that. So I guess at the end of the day 
um, I think that this last summer and you know the whole series has been a really special thing even if nothing else happens yeah definitely I mean that it wasn't something I ever really expected until it happened you know I thought maybe he was retired and that was it and uh, now the only thing left is I hope he makes I mean Inland Empire is a great last film magnum opus if that's what it is but part of me just selfishly hopes he'll make another feature film so I can actually see a Lynch film for the first time in a theater you know as yeah. it's released because that's I've never had that experience yet so <laughs> we'll see yeah but this was a pretty good uh you know this this was pretty great to experience this this way well thank you for coming on the podcast I really appreciated um the conversation and also your posts are have been great and I'm sure will continue to be great yeah, thank you for having me on. This was a great conversation. Really, like, got to explore so many different things, you know, and it's, yeah, it was, it, I, I, you know, hopefully, uh, maybe at some point we can we can do it again and when there's sort of more down the road and we have, I don't know, you know, you'll never have a full grasp on it, but but we have more of sort of a sense maybe of where we've been. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I would love to talk more, especially um, when you get into doing your series. Yeah, definitely. Um, on the return. Yeah, and like um, your blog, lostinthemovies.com, correct? Yes. Um, and you're also Lost in the Movies on Twitter? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So definitely check Joel out on either of those things. Thank you so much for coming on again. This has been a really great conversation. Um and yeah, I hope to have another conversation with you some point in the future. Sounds good.